0: Thank you. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. I love that we could take the Lord's Supper together again. It's just such a meaningful thing, and it's a great great to be able to share that together. Those of you who are watching online, want to welcome you to our service. We're glad you're here. Let me tell you about a couple of things. In fact, first, let me just thank you. Vicki and I want to say thank you. Uh, we had so many people encourage us, cards and gifts and kind words and um, in honor of our 25 years here as, as pastor, and it just meant so much to us. Um, I got a big, couple of great, big, huge boxes of Dilly Bars, I and mean, there's so many I couldn't, it took me until nine o'clock that night to finish them all. That's how many there were. I had to apply myself. And man, what a, we, would just, we just cannot tell you how much we were just so thankful, just so thankful. And it was just kind and generous, and we're grateful. Uh, You heard Mark say, in two weeks, we'll start preschool and children's life groups again. Some of the adult classes are already meeting back on campus, and youth are meeting on campus, and more of our children and preschoolers will. A lot of how many classes can open will be dependent upon volunteers, and our volunteers, we screen our volunteers, and if you're open to doing it, if you're open to being a teacher or to being a helper or to cleaning between the services… We would appreciate that very much. If you'll go out after the service, in the atrium is a big sign It says Kids Life, and that's where you go. And especially in these next few months, we just need people who are able and willing, and if that's you, that's great. Well, we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 1 this week, and next week another passage in Jeremiah. Just in my devotional time, I just really felt that I needed to preach these as I was reading through Jeremiah. And then in two weeks, I'm starting a series through the book of 2 Timothy. We'll, we'll look at every word, every Verse all the way through that book of the Bible. It's a great book, a powerful book, and it applies to our lives today. I want to ask you to join me if you're able to each week, starting in two weeks. Well, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 1 today. I want to read beginning with verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. The Bible says, The word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah speaking. The word of the Lord came to me. And here's God's word I chose you, he said, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set your part before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But I protested, Oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. Then the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. See, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and demolish, to build and plant. Well, I love this passage, and as I was just reading in my personal devotions, I just I felt compelled that I needed to preach this section of Scripture. And so, I want us to look at God's purpose for us, God's plan, God's strategy of using people like us to accomplish His purposes And if you've got your uh, notes there, if you're watching online, there'll be notes there. You can just write these three principles down, some things underneath it. I'd encourage you to do that. Let's note some principles God is teaching us through His Word. The first principle is God has appointed you to make an impact. God wants to make an impact through you, in you, with you, for you. God wants to make an impact in this world, and He wants to use you. And the Bible tells us about His appointment of Jeremiah. Let's note three things about Uh, Jeremiah's appointment and how it applies to us. Just note first that God chose you. The Bible says God chose you. The word of the Lord, Jeremiah said in verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me and God said, I chose you. So we could, before we ever loved God, God loved us. Before we ever chose God, God chose us. Before we ever came to God, God came to us. He initiated. We could never do anything in our brokenness except that God initiated that love for us. God chose you. That's a great, powerful concept in God's Word that He chose us, that He cared about us so deeply. Some of you know that some of my grandchildren have been adopted into our family, and all of our grandchildren are our grandchildren. We love them all the same, though they're different personalities, of course. We just, we love them all, but some were adopted, and that concept really has taught me more about God's love for me. God adopted us. The Bible says if you've trusted Christ as Savior, God in heaven adopted you into His family. He adopted you into His family and chose you as His own. It's telling us God loves you. God loves you. When we took communion a moment ago, we are reminded of the demonstration of God's love, His body broken for us, His blood shed for us. How do I know God loves me? The cross is the great example of God's love. It's saying to us, God wants you. You're not just an accident to God. He wants you. It's saying God cares about you. You matter to Him. God cares about you. God chose you. The the passage tells us as well that God created you. God created you. He says in verse 4 The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you, note this, before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. God created you, and He formed you. You're not an accident or a mistake. God formed you in the womb. I am pro-life, not because of politics, but because of theology. God created us. He formed us. He made us for a reason. Now, politics can help or hurt in anything, but Theology, the teaching of God, shows us that God made us, He formed us in the womb. He valued us from the very beginning. Can I just remind you, you have value to God. You're created in God's image that gives you inherent value and worth and potential. And if you've trusted Him as Savior, He's adopted you into His family, and you're double worth, double valued by the God who created you. And Not only do you have value, I think a lot of Christians sort of see that side. Yeah, I'm valued by God. But it's telling us other people have value too. They were created in God's image, they have great potential, they have great worth. And so, church, that's why we want to care for the people who are here right now. We want to care for the people who are watching online right now. We want to care. We ought to care for each other. But we don't stop there. We don't stop there. We want to care for people who aren't here yet. And we want to care for people who may look different than we look. We want to care for people who may use a, may speak another language than we speak or may have a different culture than we have. We want to care about people to the ends of the earth because God cares about people. And we, He values us, but He values others. He created us in His image, but others are created in His image as well. God created us, and people are of great value. And very often in church life, we begin to turn inward. And we focus on ourselves. You watch this in your own life. Just watch this in your own life. How easy it is for us to focus on what we like or what we want or what we think we need. And we forget about others. It's a very common story in church life. And the Lord wants us to care about others because he created us and he created others. So I've said God chose you, God created you, and God called you. And so the text says this. Verse 5, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you, he's saying to To uh, Jeremiah, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I've called you. I've given you an appointment. You have a job. And you say, well, I'm not a a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Right? You're not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, you may say. I mean, I'm not called to the nations. What is… Every single person who names the name of Christ, not only are we adopted into God's family, the Bible tells us we are ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ, representing his kingdom in this world. And the Bible tells us we have the great commission. We have a responsibility to share the gospel with others. Every one of us has a calling. We have different gifts. You know why God has given you spiritual gifts? Because he wants you to use them. God wants you to use your talents, your abilities. He'll use your background. He'll use your personality. He'll use the experiences of your life. And God wants you to serve him. God wants you to be involved in the kingdom. And God in heaven Will make an impact in this world through you. Now, listen, this is the strategy that God uses. This is God's strategy. This is His methodology. Some of you military types, you have to make uh, strategies for like contingencies. If so, someone right now, Scott Air Force Base or in the Pentagon or somewhere, is making a strategy right now for potential, or if Luxembourg uh, decides to invade us, I don't like. I doubt, I'm not like a military expert. I just, I'm not expecting an attack from Luxembourg. But if, if Luxembourg attacks, there's somebody right now preparing for that contingency. Here's what we're going to do. If the Luxembourgers, is that what they are? The Luxembourgers, whatever. They, if they come pouring across the sea to attack us, here's, what we, here's how we're going to strategize. Well, what's God's strategy? It's to use, it's to use people like us. God's strategy was to call this guy Jeremiah who hadn't done one thing yet for the cause of the Lord, and he called him to be a prophet to the nations. God's strategy is to call someone like me, for whatever reason, purposes I couldn't see, to to do what he wants me to do. God's strategy is to use someone exactly like you to accomplish his purposes. That is God's strategy. He could do everything he does without Jeremiah or me or you. But God's strategy is to use people like us to accomplish his purposes. God wants to make an impact in this world, and he has appointed you, of all people, you, believer. Those of, those of you who name the name of Christ, you're watching this online, you're here in person. God has appointed, if you're a believer, he has appointed you to make an impact in this world for his glory. God will, God will do the work. He's the one who saves. He's the one who empowers, but God uses people just like us. There's a second principle I'd like you to write down. God has directed you to overcome excuses. Now, I think you ought to write this one down because uh, you're going to have to come back to this one at some point. God has directed you to overcome excuses. The first response of Jeremiah is not an uncommon response. He says in verse 6, But I protested. It was his peaceful protest. It was his, I'm he says, I know what you want me to do, God. But notice the next words. Oh, no, Lord God, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And we know something about protesting just from our own experience in life, just personally. I, this week was the anniversary of Martin Luther King's um, famous speech, I Have a Dream, in which he said he longed for the day when people are judged not by the color of their skin but by the content of the character. Boy, I love that. Uh, Dr. King advocated for peaceful Protests when many people were calling for anarchy in that generation, this generation, the next generation, if the Lord tarries, that's the nature of fallen mankind. And listen, Jeremiah protested the problem with the protest can be if you're protesting the right things, great, if you're protesting the wrong things, terrible. He's protesting God. He's not the only one on this protest. Let me tell you, he's not the only one. Maybe you have said. God. Oh, no, Lord God. Isn't that funny how that juxtaposition goes? Oh, no, Lord God. Well, which is it? No or Lord? Which is it? And he's not alone. Many people have had an excuse. That's what's going to happen. He's going to give an excuse. Let's note a couple of sub-principles here. Would you know God is greater than your your, uh, limitations? God's greater than your limitations. Verse 6, he said, "I, I protested. Oh, no, Lord God. Look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. I can't do it. You say, God, I I can't do it. I'm uh, inexperienced, and I'm young. So I haven't learned rhetoric. I haven't practiced. I'm not very good at public speaking. I'm nervous in front of people, and I'm young. You know, I know, God, you can't use someone like me. There's always an excuse. If you're looking for an excuse, there's always an excuse. You can always find a reason why you can't obey the Lord. One of the jobs of the enemy is to provide for you excuses, reasons why you can't do what God tells you to do, why you can't serve when God calls you to serve, why you can't obey the Lord. He's always supplying reasons. So, there's always an excuse. You're too young. You're too old. You don't have enough experience. You've got too much experience the um, my, my favorite excuse there was a man in our church he was a teenager i don't know 20 some years ago uh, <laughs> when he used this excuse it's just always been one of my favorite he said he couldn't do something whatever it was i don't remember the details of what it was now but he couldn't do something he said and here's the reason he gave he said because he had to dethatch the lawn that is the most suburban excuse in the history of excuses. They had to dethatch the lawn. Nobody in the small town is saying, "I've got to dethatch the lawn." That's why. I but I'm telling you, if you're looking for an excuse, there's always a reason. I'm too young. I'm too old. I have to dethatch the lawn. The sun's in my eyes. There's always a reason why you can't obey the Lord. Except, notice what the Lord says. The Lord's just not really. He doesn't say, "Oh well, I, I'm sorry. I did not realize, Jeremiah, how young you were. I apologize." I was unaware of your inexperience, Jeremiah. That changes everything. That's not what he says, is it? The Lord said to me, verse 7, Do not say I am only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you to. You're you're going to, I'm calling you to obey. I'm not calling you, Jeremiah, because like I'm somehow sort of weak on talent. And I needed somebody who just was super talented. So I thought I'd get somebody who could just save the day with his talent. That's not, that's not weak on talent. He doesn't call you to serve him because he somehow has some need and he's unable to accomplish his purposes, right? He, he calls you to obey him. There's always going to be a reason. Listen, you, forever, the enemy will feed you reasons why you can't obey God. Now, other people may be able to, but you, can't. you cannot be expected to obey God. You cannot be expected to use your gifts. Someone else may, but you can't. You cannot be expected to use your resources for God's glory, to use your talents for God's glory. There's always, the enemy is really talented at this, and quite frankly, your own heart is pretty good at this. Here's why I can't do, I know what God says, but, I know what you say, Lord, but, there's a reason. I've got an excuse. I've got to dethatch the lawn. The sun's in my eyes. I'm too young. I'm too old. Whatever it is, God is greater than your limitations. And God is not calling just someone else. God is calling you, not just someone else, but you, to obey him. Secondly, would you note know, God is greater than your fears. God is greater than your fears. So notice what the Bible um, says here in verse 7 or verse 8. Do not be you to, Maybe you ought to underline this in your Bible. Do not be afraid right there in the Bible. Now, he's going to talk about being afraid Of others, but just that concept of don't be don't be afraid. That is a common refrain in the Bible. Do not be afraid. And we are living in the generation of fear. This is the generation of fear. We are scared to death about what might happen. And the Lord says to the generation of fear, Do not be afraid of anyone. You don't have to be afraid of people. You don't have to be afraid of circumstances. You don't have to be afraid of life. You don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to live in fear. The generation of fear. We live in the generation of what might happen, what could happen. If you watch, read the news or watch the news, someone's going to say this could happen, not just what will happen, what could happen. They don't just tell you the percentages. This is what, you know, this is the odds of whether it's going to be good weather or bad weather. They always tell you what could happen. This uh, storm could turn into the greatest, the worst storm of all history, and of course it could. Or this problem could turn out to be the worst problem in the history. As soon as you say could. Well, anything could be said after that. Anything. Can I just tell you, you could get hit by a meteorite. Now, I'm not saying you're going to. I'm just saying you could. Isn't that fair to say you could? It's not likely. It's not a very high percentage possibility, but you could. If If you're not sure, generation of fear, if we're not sure, if you need something else to be afraid of, let me just provide one for you. You could get hit by a meteorite. When you walk into your car after the service, you could get hit by a meteorite. Now, you, does that help you? Does that does help you to tell you that you could get hit by a meteorite? So if you want to, you can just say, man, I'm going to live by could, what might happen, and I'm going to walk in fear. In fact, I'm not going to walk. I'm going to sprint to my car as fast as this service is over. From the par- I'm going to sprint through the parking lot. I'm going to zigzag just in case that meteorite is. And I'm going to. Now, you could do that, right? Because you could get hit by a meteorite. And... By the way, not only could you get hit by a meteorite, but the odds are low. I'm just telling you, I don't want you to live in fear of getting hit by a meteorite, though we know it could happen. But let's take the worst case scenario. Let's say I get hit by a meteorite on the way to the truck after the service. Now, it's not likely to happen. I'm not likely to get hit, I'm not likely to get hit in the head by a meteorite on the way to the truck far more likely to get hit in the knee. But it just, I just, (laughs) worst case scenario, you could get hit by a meter. Let's say I do. I don't think it's likely, but it could, right? It could. If it happens. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I don't have to live in fear of death. The Bible promises me if I've given my life to Christ, that Christ gives me a home in heaven so that in this world, however long God gives me, I don't have to live in fear. Now, the, the Lord is not an author of fear. He's not. That's not from the Lord. Now, we use common sense. I wish sense was more common than it is. Use common sense. We take precautions. We try to use wisdom. We think about what we can control. But we recognize that some things are out of our control. And eventually, if we live long enough... May I say respectfully, if you live long enough, you will die. Man, was that encouraging. You are so glad you came to church today. If you live long enough, death even comes. But the Bible says even the great enemy of death has been defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ so that we don't have to live in fear any longer. How thankful I am for that. So the Lord says right here, do not be afraid of anyone. By the way, any of you who are people pleasers like me, you need this. I have a tendency to worry about what someone will think do not be afraid of anyone, for here's, here's why: for I will be with you to rescue you. The Lord says, I'm going to go with you through every storm of life that comes in this fallen world. I'll rescue you if necessary, the ultimate rescue, which is death itself, when we go into the presence of God in heaven. It says, This is the Lord's declaration: God is greater than your fears. So God wants us to overcome excuses, all the reasons why we can't do what God tells us to, because he's greater than the limitations we put on ourselves, and he's greater than the fears and worries that we put on ourselves. Uh, I, I love the story of David Ring, who's an evangelist. Some of you may have heard David Ring at some point. He's an evangelist God has used over the years. He's starting to get kind of older now, but David Ring was, has spoken in many, many places along the way, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many people have come to faith through the ministry of David Ring. David Ring... Uh, was born with cerebral palsy, and it has affected him greatly. He's not able to walk very easily. Uh, It affects his speech. He cannot say clearly the name Jesus. And yet, the Lord has used him greatly. And here's what he says often. He says, I have cerebral palsy. What's your excuse? That's what he says. What's your excuse? Now, can you imagine how many people along the way said, now, David, you can't be a preacher because you've got cerebral palsy. But God called him to be a preacher. I don't wonder what your excuse is for why you can't follow the Lord. Whatever it is, whatever the Lord, whatever the Lord's called you to. His calling on you is different than his calling on Jeremiah or me or the person sitting next to you. God has a specific responsibility for you. But what is your excuse? What is it that you've said, God, here's why I can't do what you want me to do. Here's my... Defact's the lawn problem. I can't do it because of that. Heres the sun is in my eyes, God. The Lord just wants you to say, "I'm available. God, Yes, Lord, I'm available. God has directed you to overcome excuses. There's a third principle I'd like you to note. God has enabled you to accomplish His will. God has enabled you to accomplish His will. Let's note three ways that happens, three ways we have been enabled to accomplish the will of God. First is His presence. Verse nine says, "The Lord reached out His hand and touched my mouth and told me. I love that. I love the touch of the Lord in the life of Jeremiah. There's something about physical touch. One of the things I hate about our time is the lack of physical touch is something about that that just has changed. My my father died years ago now, and my mother talked um, often about how she missed that hug from my father and really just from anyone. And she began to pray that the Lord would just provide a hug for her And so often God would just provide in in a day someone to hug her and, and how much that meant to her. There's something about that touch that says, I'm here and I care and I know. And the Lord is saying to Jeremiah, I'm here and I care and I know. Not only his presence, but his word is a way he has enabled you to accomplish his will. The Bible says, the Lord told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. Verse 9 says, I have now filled your mouth with my words. Notice these are not Jeremiah's words, these are God's words. God's saying, I want to f- I'm filling your mouth with my words. It's not your words, Jeremiah, it's mine. It does not matter what my opinion is, except as it is informed by the will of God. What you need from me is not my opinion, you need what God says. Our life group teachers, God bless you life group teachers, we're thankful for you. May the Lord increase your numbers, but we're not asking you to just share your opinions, but what does God say? What is God's word? What does God teach us? We want to know what God says. We hear easily what the culture says. We hear easily what the world says. We hear what our own little weak, broken, fearful heart has to say and to think, we need to hear a word from the Lord. What does God say? What does God want? And, and so God said to Jeremiah, I have now filled your mouth with my words. You speak what I have for you. I want you to accomplish my will, the Lord is saying, and you do that through my word. Which is why, church, we so often encourage you to read the Bible for yourself Get to know that New Testament well. Spend time each day with the Lord and learn his word with uh, small groups and life groups and hear God's word spoken and study and learn because God, God's word is powerful and it's able to change. It's greater than the culture, the opinions, or your feelings. There's a third way he enables you to accomplish his will, and that is through his task, his task. Verse 10 says this. Here's what God says to Jeremiah who's not yet done a thing for him. But here's what he's, what he's appointing him to do. Verse 10, see, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms. Jeremiah, the world says what matters most is the, what's happening in just the political realm. There's something bigger than that. I've appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and demolish, to build and plant. So the Lord is saying, Jeremiah, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use you, young as you are, inexperienced as you are. And I'm going to to empower you, and through that, things are going to be uprooted and torn down, destroyed and demolished. And I'm going to use you to build and to plant. Jeremiah, what I'm asking of you is for you to overcome all the excuses, all the reasons why you can't do what's right. And instead, say yes to me, and I'm going to accomplish my purposes through you. You're going to see my power. You're going to experience my work, and you're going to make a difference for my kingdom. Because I've Lord everything that you need to accomplish my will, I'm giving to you. Now, what is it that would keep you from saying yes to the Lord? What is it that would keep you from saying, God, I want to do what you want me to do? Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? If you're a believer, with your head bowed, believer, would you just... Be willing to say to the Lord honestly, would you say, yes, Lord? Would you do that? Yes, Lord. Whatever you want from me, your, what you want for obedience, yes, Lord. What, how you want me to serve, how you want me to use my gifts, my talents, my abilities, my resources, yes, Lord. What you want from me, yes, Lord. Not, not a thousand reasons of why, of why I can't do what you want. Yes, Lord. Some of you here who need to trust Christ as Savior, or just give your heart to Christ, Lord, I, I believe, I know I'm a sinner and I'm lost by that sin. It separated me from you, but you died on the cross for my sins. You rose from the grave for me, and so I repent of my sin and I place my faith in you and I ask you to save me and Christ will save you. Christ will save you. Lord, I'm going to thank you for the power of your word. We know all too well the tendency to follow the example of Jeremiah. There's a Here are the reasons why I can't do what you want me to do. Uh, the reasons why I can't do what you want me to do, Lord. The, the reasons why I can't obey you. The reasons I can't serve you. The reasons I can't live for you. The reasons, Lord, we know those so well. The enemy supplies them. We know them from our own hearts. That we know you're a great God who is able to accomplish great things through us. Your strategy is to use people like us. Frail, fallen, weak human beings like us. And so as best we know how today, Lord, we want to say, yes, Lord. We want to follow your will, your purpose to do what you want for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.